Before Ken comes to speak, just a word of introduction. The mission to serve and help with leprosy, now called TLM, the Mission to End Leprosy, has been a ministry that's been important to this parish for many, many years. And Elizabeth West has spearheaded that and I believe is very much still a part of it. And so we're delighted to invite you forward, Ken, um, as you come and speak to us uh, from the gospel reading, but also about mission and outreach. And would you show your appreciation for Ken as he comes forward and speaks to us this morning? You're very welcome, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Thank you for the invitation to be here. I personally seem to have a loose connection with this parish going back a very long time. I walked in this morning and a lady said to me, I used to feed you in your high chair. <laughs> well, that's not this year or last year. That's quite some time ago. So I won't say how long ago that was, so you won't know how old I was. But more importantly, you won't know anything about that lady's age herself. But that was Dillis's mum. And it appears that, uh, well, I knew very well that Dillis's mum and my mum were great friends, as indeed my mum and the mum of your former rector were great friends. So there's that loose connection. But of course, the real connection is between the leprosy mission or the mission to end leprosy and this parish because you have been supporting our work for decades. And in fact, in the past number of months have taken on a particular commitment at Karigiri in India. And I'd love to spend time talking about that commitment and, and what that will mean, but that's not my task this morning. Maybe we could do that on some other occasion. My task this morning is to speak about the passage from Mark's Gospel, which is the lectionary reading. Isn't it incredible how sometimes the lectionary reading fits in uh, with, with what you've been asked to do? But that's when God is at work in the midst of it. I think I'm being spoiled rotten this morning because I'm used to having to do my own PowerPoint slide. PowerPoint slides, but I think somebody's going to help me out with that this morning, and I'm just waiting for them to appear there in a minute. That's okay, that's okay. If they don't appear, there's no problem, we'll just keep going. Oh, there we go. That's Karigiri in, in, in India. That's, that's where this uh, parish is investing at the moment, and there's about a 50-year history of, of life that's being changed in rural communities. It's a rural community, and recently uh, the, the hospitalists there, I had the pl pleasure and privilege of helping them to design a, a new strategy for the next 10-year period. And we're going to talk a little bit about how using that tool that we've designed, a friend of mine designed a tool for helping rural communities with no language and no facilities to, to, prior, to list their own priorities, and then I took that tool and adapted it as a piece to help uh, institutions to develop their own strategies, and we're going to talk about how we can use that in this parish to prioritize the areas of mission. Well, that's just a little glimpse of Karigiri uh, there. Can we have the next slide, please? Oh, the eight has, has disappeared in the formatting. How never. The passage this morning is Mark chapter eight. Anybody ever been to Caesarea Philippi in the Golan Heights? I thought Ruth and Joe might have been. Yep. Anybody else? Young Broderick? Well done. It's up in the Golan Heights, and the passage this morning is based at Caesarea Philippi. There are two accounts in the Gospel. There's Mark chapter 8, and there's, Mark, and there's Matthew chapter 16. As we say in these parts, they're the same but different. 
They're the same, they recall the same story or the same event that happened, but Matthew's is just slightly longer and has an interaction between Jesus and Peter that Mark doesn't actually record at all. We read in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Mark was the earlier written Gospel. Don't necessarily take them in the order that they're listed in the Scriptures. Mark was the earlier Gospel, and Matthew seems to have done some more research and recounted some more of the detail as he found it. And the difference between the two of them is that when, Jesus, when, when Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, Jesus turns to Peter and says that you have not learned this yourself, but the Spirit has revealed it to you. And he says, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And then he gives the command for the, for, for the church. To, it's really Jesus launching his ministry till the end of time. So Matthew has a little bit more detail, but we're going to deal with Mark chapter 8. The other piece that Matthew has is, is that it says that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And if you, if you go home later and you read the two accounts and you say to me, well, you know, Matthew's different because in Matthew, uh, Peter says you are the Christ, and in Mark, he says you are the Messiah. I will simply explain that by saying that Matthew is using the Greek word for Messiah, Christos, which we translate Christ. So they are the same, but different, but they're really important in understanding the mission of the church. Anybody ever seen the gates of hell? If we have the next photo, I'll show you the gates of hell. This is Caesarea Philippi. As I say, it's up on the Golan Heights, and this cave here is what's known as the gates of hell. You may have wondered about that phrase. You may have wondered, what does it mean, the gates of hell will not prevail? You see, this is the place where the mythical god Pan was worshipped. Pan was half uh, animal, half, or supposed to be half animal, half human, and he was a mischievous kind of god. He was a god who the, the people believed required a sacrifice. And what happened was humans would be sacrificed at this cave, they'd be pushed in, and if the, if the, if the river ran red, well then he wasn't satisfied and somebody else had to be pushed in. He was an incredibly, he, of course, he wasn't a real God, he was an imaginary God, but people thought that he demanded this kind of sacrifice. So, Caesarea Philippi is the seat of paganism, of false beliefs, of false gods, and this is where Jesus brought the disciples, and they said, you, or Peter said, you are the Messiah. In the midst of a culture which was so anti-Christ, Peter makes the declaration, you are the Messiah. Of course, what does the Messiah mean? The Messiah, it means the anointed one, the one who was to come, the one who was to bring peace, the one who was to bring reconciliation, the one who was to bring justice, the anointed one, which is what Christos means in, in, in the Greek, the anointed one. And Peter says, you are the anointed one. Now, we know that that's a statement of faith. In Matthew's gospel, we're told that the Spirit revealed it to Peter. And we know that because it's not until the Holy Week accounts that we discover Jesus being anointed and the fulfillment of that prophecy. But you see, the Messiah was the one who was to come and who was to be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, all the things about justice and peace and reconciliation. I've had a quick look at your values on your, on your statement here for Holy Trinity, and one of the, the interesting things here is that you, you, you quote Jeremiah 29 verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. One of the things that the, the Messiah 
was going to fulfill. So when you're talking about your values and you're talking about your mission, you're already talking about the things that the Messiah will help to be fulfilled. And of course, prosperity in that sense is not a financial prosperity, it's a sense of well-being, a sense of wholeness and completeness, of goodness and satisfaction. So it's not necessarily a wealthy prosperity, but it's that sense of well-being. Then, of course, Jesus predicts his death. He says, I must go, and I must suffer. Why must he suffer? It's not because there was somebody demanding that of him. He must because the law had to be fulfilled. His sacrifice was necessary for him to be the Messiah, to show that he is the Son of God, the one in whom we believe, because he's the only one who could actually fulfill the law. So when it says must, it's not that other people were demanding that of him, and it's not as some people try to make from this passage that he had to set an example of what it means to live well. Jesus didn't need to set an example of what it means to live well. Yes, he did, but it's more than that. It's, It's so that we would know that he is the one in whom we can put our trust, the one who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, the one who is through whom we get fulfillment, we get that prosperity, we get all the things that make us right with God. And then, of course, the passage moves on to one other point, which is, oh, sorry, I missed it, sorry, which is the way of the cross, the way of living. If we want to save our lives, we must give up our lives. You see, the Christian life is about service. It's about serving people around about us. It's about living in a way that we put ourselves last and others first so that they may know of the Messiah, the one who had to die so that the law would be fulfilled and we could receive salvation, we could receive wholeness, we could receive justice, we could receive all of these things. Here's a photo which we use quite frequently in our work. It's a photo of a village in, in, in Africa. It's uh, not a village that we work in, but it's typical of the type of place that we work in. We work, work amongst the poorest of the world's poor. We work amongst people who have no literacy, they have no running water, they have no, no education, they have no medical facilities. In fact, they have very little in life. And yet the tool that we're going to talk about is something that has been designed to help people like that to begin to build their communities and to build their own lives according to their own identified priorities. Because one of the worst things that an organization like the Mission to End Leprosy could ever do is to wander into a village and say, you must do this. There's no ownership in that. There's no dignity in that. There's no compassion in that. So we work with people, and my friend Ravi and I have developed this tool that allows villages to sit and and, and design their own development plan. And that's what we're trying to introduce here this morning is a development plan for mission, taking that tool from the developing world and trying to apply it in a church setting. This is the hospital in India, Karigiri, where, as I say, you've you've invested heavily. And uh, earlier on this year, they sat down and they said, how are we going to serve the needs of the people, not just in our local community, but in all of India and in all of the world as we reach out to eradicate leprosy? And so they sat with some, uh, with, with some ideas, and we helped them to develop their own uh, strategic plan. You might do something for you. You might pray for that strategic plan, because it's about to be launched at the board meeting in India on Tuesday, and that's a very important day for that hospital, which is connected 
with this parish. So I'd be delighted if you would, if you would pray for that, for that hospital over the coming days and weeks. You received one of these when you came in. This is where, where a process of developing a strategy for mission or for a hospital or for a community begins. It begins with a question. I already have the answers. The answers are in. Here is the vote of the Irish jury. Alemania, no, sorry, wrong card. Uh, there, there, are, there are three themes which have emerged as the top three uh, priorities that people have identified in mission today. The first one is serving the needs of the community, local and international. Somebody's even put them on the screen already. Uh, the second one is prayer, and the third one is welcoming people into our community. So what happens is you start with a question. You try to identify what are, the, what are the, the main feelings behind those questions? What are the priorities that are being identified? And there were probably more uh, that could have been listed here. But we take the top three, and then we try to work with that. And if, if Christina moves on with the slide, we'll show you how that works. Oh, you see, this, this is our uh, Marcus, my, my colleague, Elizabeth's uh, grandnephew. Grand uh, who, who helped with this process in India. What you do is you gather up all the suggestions that come through, and then you rank them, and you take the top three uh, to make that happen. And then we move on to the next slide. And then everybody gets to vote, because once the top three have been identified, everybody gets an equal vote to, to try and identify what is the most important issue that people feel needs to be developed or needs to be included in a strategic plan for mission. So that's, that's the next stage. And then what we do is we, we plot them on what we call a dartboard, or a strategy wheel. And you can see that this is actually the strategic plan for that hospital. You can't see the, the words that are around the edge, but each of those is an area that needs development. And the more votes or coins or discs that you get closer to the center, the more important it is that that issue is looked at. Uh, the, the, middle, the middle ring is, well, we're, we, we, we need a little bit of help with that, but uh, we're, we're doing fairly well on our, on our own. And the outer ring is, well, it's important, but we, we think it's not the most important thing at the moment, and we, we would need some outside help with it. So, so the most important are in the center. The middle ring is for, we, we're good, at, we, we, we've an expertise in that, but we need to do a little bit more with it. Uh, and, we, and we need some ex external help to, to do that, and the outer one where we need a lot of help to do that, so it's not something we can tackle just at the moment. And of course, in that particular hospital, there were things like training, there were things like uh, uh, scientific research, uh, detection of new cases of leprosy, and as you can see, a lot of concentration was in the, the middle ring, where they have expertise, but they need to bring in some external expertise to make that happen. And that eff effectively is the strategic plan for the hospital. It's much, much easier to use than 30 pages of text where everybody forgets what the text actually says, but you can go back to the plan and you can remember quite easily and quite visually what your priorities are. And that's the kind of thing that we would love to, to partner with this church over the next number of weeks to help build as a strategy for mission. Yes, of course you're involved with, with the mission that we're involved in in the world, but there's so much more to mission. Uh, you've already identified, identifying and bring, bringing people into the community, serving locally and internationally. 
but how, with all the demands that are, that are necessary to make those happen, how do you prioritize the resources you have? How do you identify the resources you need? And how do you, how do you begin to timetable how that would look? Wouldn't it be cool if you ended up with a strategy wheel that was on the back of the wall of the church and you knew these are our priorities, these, this is where we're going to, how we're going to make it happen, and this is the way it's going to work. Well, the good news is you can take part in that process if you want to. Starting Wednesday this week, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Is that here, Rob? In, 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 in the church here, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Going through a series of questions, prioritizing them, and helping to build a strategy for mission in this place. I think we have one last slide, have we? The big question, of course, from the Scriptures is, who do you say that Jesus is? Is He your Messiah? Is he, do, is he the one in whom you can put faith for everything, for life, for prosperity, for that sense of in, embedded prosperity and well-being? And is He the one who, because we believe He is who He says He is, we want to serve? And we take on board the words of Mark chapter 8, that if we give up everything to serve Him, what better? than to save our own lives and to forfeit our souls. Thank you for allowing me to join with you this morning. Thank you for that privilege.